I would like to say a few words about uh, how uh, my work, which mainly revolves around uh, literary criticism, can also on some level intersect with the women's movement in Iran. Uh, before going any further, um, I want to acknowledge the great debts I have uh, to women whose field um, is either history, political science, and who have written extensively on women's movement in Iran from either a political or historical perspective. Mine, uh, as you know, always intersects um, with uh, literary production. Well, as a woman who has witnessed successive political crisis in her country of birth, from the 1953 coup and the end of 2,500 years of dynastic rule to the 1979 revolution, the hostage crisis, the 1980s cultural revolution, from the imprisonment of my family members and friends to the eight-year bloody war with Iraq, rigged elections, and massive demonstrations. I have often asked myself, would the course of Iranian history have been different if women had served as political leaders of my country? History offers no definitive uh, answer to such exasperated, impatient questions. But be that as it may, there is also another story. There is another side to the story. It is the heroic story of the Iranian people's struggle for freedom and democracy for human rights and human dignity, for due process of law and civil liberties. In a country where literature is a sacred scripture, in a land where people grow up kissing books, it should not surprise us if writers and poets have been deeply involved in this inspiring history of resistance and resilience. It is here in this literature that we find the kind of history unavailable in history books. It is here in this literature that the vibrancy of a country defining, undefining, and redefining itself is captured with respect for truth and nuance. It is here in this literature that the dream of the Iranian people for democracy is kept alive for the world to see. Although many of the experiences described are harrowing, and at times, the writing leads with grief and anguish and sorrow, the luminous tale of courage and endurance consoles the heart, lifts the soul, and promises kinder days ahead. Exceptions aside, however, the role of women writers and poets in this liberating movement has been mostly unexplored. While women have been acknowledged as literary figures, they have been mostly sidelined as political strategists and activists. Their distinct 
and significant contributions remain indeed unmapped for the most part. Why the exclusion, we might ask? Why this discursive segregation? Why the push to the margins of women? Why the relegation to footnotes when women writers generated ideas that reshaped not only gender relations in Iran, but contemporary history. Women writers took the struggle for democracy inside the home, in kitchens and bedrooms. They looked at gender inequity where it all begins at home. They challenge traditional definitions of masculinity and femininity, power, authority, authorship. To borrow from Toni Morrison, one of my favorite writers, they emerged from their segregated spaces, going from the described and the imagined to the describer and the imaginer. These women democratized literature by integrating female voice and vision into a predominantly masculine literary tradition. For centuries, women's access to the public uh, discourse, like the public arena, was curtailed in Iran. That's why women writers refused to stay in their proper place and assigned roles. That's why their struggle should be considered one of the key markers, makers, and shapers of democracy and modernity in Iran. Women knew desegregation was central to their literary enterprise. They knew they had to trespass tall walls, borders, boundaries, and ancestral silences. To become a published writer or poet, Iranian women not only needed a room of their own, and economic independence, as Virginia Woolf remarked in her groundbreaking work, A Room of One's Own, but also the freedom to leave that room and to return to it at will. Without such a right, a room turns into a prison cell. Aware of the restricted mobility of their body and their voice, women writers have been at the forefront of the search for an equitable society for all. From Tahir Aburatul Ain, who risked life and limb to give body to her voice and voice to her body, to Zebra, the outspoken protagonist of Azarin van der Wied Ulumi's delightful novel, Call Me Zebra, women have refused to stand still behind closed gates and suspended opportunities. They have ignored the warning, you don't belong here. If Tahere went from door to door, <clears throat> sorry, street to street, city to city, Zebra traveled the globe. They, Tahere and uh, Van der Viet Ulumi, like their female literary colleagues, wanted to become the chroniclers of a presence asserted a body inserted 
a voice regained. In a country where women need the written permission of their male guardians to travel abroad, they turned literature into their freedom machines, their border-defying magic carpet. It is no exaggeration to claim that the reorganization of physical, social, and discursive spaces runs like a unifying thread through the work of female writers in the last 170 years in Iran. Please allow me to give you a couple of examples. In her novel, The Blue Locus, dedicated to Don Quixote and Khalishokat, Charnusha Parsipur writes, I was entering the depth of darkness, the deep of the sea. I felt cold. I was becoming an absence. I wanted warmth. I wanted love. I wanted light. I wanted presence. I screamed, why do you always keep me? in the deep of the sea. Repeating the sentence, why do you keep me in the dark of the sea? Seven times in one paragraph, Parsipur adds, I was grieving. I wept. I felt I'm shrinking in myself. When I wanted to walk, I felt heavy. I could only take little steps. It was like I was limping and one foot was shorter than the other. The refrain, why do you always keep me in the deep of the sea is of course, Parsipur's intertextual homage to Furuhatarosad and a line from her celebrated poem, Let Us Believe in the Dawn of the Cold Season, in which the poet demands inclusion and visibility. Why do you always keep me in the deep of the sea? Barrosad laments in this beautiful poem. I feel cold. And I despise these mother of pearl earrings. It is this violence of erasure that women writers have aimed to overcome with their boundary pushing and revolutionary work. It is this imposed absence, this forced disappearance they have rejected. It is like the visibility and the space Ralph M. Uh, Ellison demanded in the poignant opening lines of his seminal book, Invisible Man. Ellison writes, I am an invisible man. Understand, I'm invisible simply because you refuse to see me. The price women writers have paid for seeking voice, visibility, and mobility has been exorbitant. Tahira Quratwain was executed at the age of 36. Parvini Etesami died of a mysterious fever at the age of 34. Furuga Farrohzad died in a car accident at the age of 34. 32. Tajo Satane attempted suicide three times. Zandof de Shirazi died in her early 40s, a premature death caused by depression. Fateme Sayyah died of a heart attack at 45. Kuro Farosad, Mashid Anushahi, Goli Taraki, 
Chahnusha Parsipur and many others experience depression, incarceration, or attempted suicide. Kobra Saidi, better known as Shahzad, endured imprisonment and institutionalization for seven long years. Azola Alizadi, at the height of her literary powers, hanged herself with colorful robes in Jawahir Dati. This catalog of depression, isolation, imprisonment, and attempted suicide, of early death and execution is ranching. The road to desegregation has not been easy for women. Still, knowing but not fearing consequences, women have resisted exclusion. They have challenged the norms and conventions at every step and emerged as a vibrant catalyst of change. They have broken many glass ceilings. And I am convinced they are on the way to break the hardest and the highest one, that of national leadership. There is a rich vocabulary in the Persian language for male monarchs, but no official title exists for a female monarch independent of her relationship with a man. Nor is there a title for the husband of a female monarch. The feminine counterpart of Sultan is Salite, a shrew a domineering woman, a woman who we are told acts as the husband of her man. Although women have fought for social political participation for 170 years, they are still barred from the highest offices in the land. For instance, supreme leadership, membership in the powerful Expediency Council and the Guardian Council. Although several women have nominated themselves as presidential candidates, 40 in the most recent election, they have been consistently and systematically disqualified from running. As usual, women writers are the harbingers of upcoming political trends, I believe. If earlier, a world ruled by women was an unattainable dream for the heroine of the first major novel written by a woman, Simin Donishvars Savushun, the younger generations within the country and in diaspora or assuming the role of rulers and even prophets in their works. I must be king, even if I don't have a crown on my head, writes the female narrator of the exquisite novel, Parande Yaman, My Bird by Fariba Bahi. The young and sassy protagonist of Marjan Satrapi's masterpiece, graphic memoir, Persepolis, goes even further and declares herself the first female prophet in a long line of male predecessors. And in Negara Jagwadi's richly layered, taboo-bursting, semi-autobiographical novel, Disoriental, the pre-Islamic Iranian prophet Zoroaster is a girl. Iranian women have emerged as seasoned survivors and a formidable civic force to be reckoned with. And women writers 
have been at the forefront of this move. They offer a promising alternative to lead a country in swift decline out of its current crisis. In the words of Furukafar Sad, I will come, I will come, I will come. And the threshold will be filled with love. And at the threshold, I will greet all those who love and the girl standing there at the threshold. Standing at the threshold of East and West, local and global, past and future, women writers and poets in Iran have produced a radically dissenting body of writing with a momentum never before experienced. We need to study this movement more and we need to celebrate it further. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for this wonderful uh, talk and introduction. Uh, let me remind uh, our listeners that many of the uh, female writers uh, that uh, Professor Milani referred to, uh, we have had the good fortune of uh, hosting at Stanford. And their programs are taped from Mahshida Shahi to Goliath Tarapi to uh, uh, Ms. Parsipur. All three are past winners of our Elbita uh, Prize. Ms. Wafi has been uh, with us. Jabodi has been with us. All of these programs are there. And I strongly urge you to go back and watch them. Uh, you ended your talk uh, with a repetitious uh, referral to the concept of threshold. I know you've been working on this. And I don't want the audience to think this is just a passing word that gets repeated. Could you tell us a little bit about what uh, your understanding of this uh, genre is? Sure. Thank you for asking this question uh, because threshold literature uh, is something that I'm very passionate about these days. Uh, and uh, as you might know, I have in fact asked for uh, a year of leave uh, to be able to focus uh, um, on this particular topic. Um, I have always believed that at the intersection of opposites, marvels can be created. Now, sometimes uh, uh, negative things can happen. Uh, for instance, when a country is polarized and uh, no one is willing to uh, compromise and listen to the other side, um, the ramifications are negative. But it can also be um, a source of um, uh, creativity and wonder. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, when sunlight and raining fall uh, coexist, uh, a rainbow is created, uh, a bridge that connects heaven and earth. Um, our ancestors in their infinite wisdom uh, called the break of dawn, Gorgomish, wolf, sheep. Uh, when light and darkness coexist, the sun is born. I can give you many other such examples. Um, but the reason I got interested in threshold literature uh, was first uh, because um, I saw its presence in the architecture of the writing of women. Uh, as you mentioned, um, this, um, the five lines that I read from Guru um, Farasad's poem, I will greet the sun again, um, repeats the word threshold four times. And um, 
in all five of her poetry collection, um, she refers to threshold. And as you might recall, the house is black also focuses on this architectural framework. Also, uh, all my life in Iran, uh, I remember that uh, every time I had an important exam, every time I was traveling, every time something important uh, was to happen, uh, our mother uh, will hold the Quran uh, at the threshold that Ostaniya dar, um, and we will walk uh, under it. I remember I, I used to ask her, why here? Um, why can't we do it somewhere else in the house? But she insisted that it has to be at the threshold. Um, Jews have something called mezuzah um, that they um, attach to the uh, framework of the door. All of these um, made me very interested in the significance of what I call a third space. Of course, theoretically, um, I'm using um, the work of uh, people like Van Gennett, uh, people like Victor Turner, uh, who have talked about uh, liminal, uh, liminality. Uh, and by the way, um, I was fascinated to find that even the word liminal um, is borrowed um, from Latin and it means threshold. And uh, you know, Homi Baba has of course, from a post-colonial perspective, written extensively about third space. And uh, Gloria Anzaldúa uh, in her book, Borderland, La Frontera, has also discussed uh, this issue both autobiographically and theoretically, um, uh, talking about the borderlands. Um, so for me, um, I think a new era um, is emerging in women, uh, women's writing, both inside and outside the country. Um, it's the first time, uh, although overdue, that women are finding their way uh, into um, anthologies of world literature. Uh, they're uh, winning all sorts of awards, uh, both inside Iran and outside the country. And I think um, what they're doing, like the threshold, which is at the intersection of inside and outside, um, past and future, safe and challenges and all sorts of binary opposites, women are creating a kind of writing that transcends binary opposites while acknowledging their existence. Um, I absolutely know nothing about this uh, theoretical uh, framework. I've read a little Homi Baba, but not in this context post-colonial, is the threshold literature developed by women because they have essentially decided that they cannot break into that, uh, that binary structure. They have given up on uh, essentially making an egalitarian uh, public space and they're going into a separate space. Is it like a literally exile? You know, you can't fix your country, you go into exile. Is that what it is? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I think the beauty of uh, this, uh, this literature, this emerging um, genre, uh, really, I, I see it as a subgenre uh, of literary production, uh, you know, to give examples of people inside, of course, Furo Farouk who was an exile in her own country. Um, of Semin Behbahani, uh, who created the figure of the gypsy, who is also a liminal figure. You know, uh, Semin Behbahani has written 16 exquisite and profound, uh, and profoundly philosophical poems about the gypsies. And she has identified with the gypsy. So um, it is a refusal to submit to either or proposition. It replaces 
the conjunction or with another conjunction and, and very short replacements of or with and makes a world of difference. Well, I can spend uh, the rest of my life as actually uh, conversing with you as I've done part of uh, my early life, but I know there are questions and I think uh, Roma is going to ask the questions that we have from our audience. I wanna end by thanking you again for accepting uh, our invitation. I've been inviting her for two years and she has refused and refused and I have not given up. So thank you for uh, accepting finally. Thank you, Abbasjan. Thank you. We do have several questions and comments coming in, and I just wanted to point out that the videos of past speakers that um, Professor Abbas Milani mentioned, um, we shared a link in our chat to a YouTube playlist that has several of those videos if you'd like to take a look back. So to get to our questions, uh, one viewer writes, many thanks for your insightful talk, Professor Milani. I was wondering if you could refer to some similarities and discrepancies among the tropes prevalent in the literature produced by domestic women writers on the one hand, and those produced by women authors outside of Iran. Um, that's a wonderful question. Um, a very complicated question, I have to say. Uh, as a student of women writers in Iran, um, I have to tell you, um, that the issue of time is of the essence. Uh, so I will not be able to talk about um, all uh, contemporary women writers, uh, either inside or later on outside the country. But there is definitely a couple of themes um, that jump out uh, regardless of time and uh, regard regardless of the historic context. And that of course is the issue of censorship. Um, as uh, we know, uh, censorship uh, uh, is a reality of life in Iran. Uh, it has been uh, to different degrees uh, and to the uh, best of my knowledge, most of our writers, both male and female, at some point in their lives and in their writings uh, have complained, have lamented uh, this restriction on their freedom of expression and on the voyages of their imagination. So one of the first uh, things for us um, to keep in mind when we talk about um, uh, the wonderful proud number of women who are now writing uh, in diaspora in, uh, um, and winning amazing awards um, uh, is that um, they're free to write about uh, whatever their heart desires. Uh, the same cannot be said about women uh, who are still writing inside the country. Thank you. Their viewer writes, in the future, can literature be a means of making a way for women to have more active participation in the public arena by creating a public persona of the politically active Iranian women? Yes, uh, what a great question. Um, I have always believed that um, women writers and poets in Iran um, have been prescient, uh, have been able to predict the future. Uh, maybe uh, one of the reasons is that for the most part, they have been free uh, from ideological perspectives. Let me give you one example. Uh, I believe uh, the first person uh, who predicted um, the 1979 revolution is Farouk Farouzad. I don't know uh, of any other writer, uh, male or female, poet, male or female, who predicted with such precision uh, the uh, coming 
of a revolution. Uh, I'm referring uh, to different poems, but in particular, uh, I'm thinking of Delam Baraye Bahje Misuzan. I feel sorry for the garden. As you might recall, uh, it's a garden that is dying uh, because neither the father nor the mother nor the brother, nor the sister, take responsibility for the welfare of the garden. And Farosad talks about how um, mortars and machine guns are being planted in gardens, uh, how flowers are being replaced by armaments, how little children are filling their backpacks with bombs. But what I love about that poem is that at the end, she writes, um, I know the garden can be taken to a hospital. And she repeats, Midanam, Midanam, Midanam. I know it. I know it. I know it. This um, belief in nonviolence, this belief that um, we can be responsible and each of us has to take responsibility for the welfare of our garden. Um, it, in the 60s was amazing. So um, the, the few examples I gave you, uh, of women who are becoming prophets and uh, kings in their writings, I think is a harbinger uh, of what we can hopefully um, expect uh, for the future of our country. Thank you. Another viewer writes, thank you very much for the talk. The idea of threshold literary production is very much connected, or so I think, to the translation projects. In other words, does it make sense to say that many literary productions by women, in this case Iranian women, would find their significance and impact only, mainly, if they are translated into other languages and thus manage to move across borders? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, um, our government has never invested uh, either before or after the revolution as much as it should on propagating um, works of translation. And the American uh, publishing industry uh, is obsessed with blockbusters. Uh, of course, they're not interested uh, in works of translation. Um, um, rare translators who are not interested uh, in um, economic gains, uh, who do it out of passion for the field, uh, are doing great um, uh, translations. Um, but generally speaking, uh, if you were to ask me what are uh, a few things that can be done um, to um, better expose the world to one of its treasures, Iranian literature, I would say translation. Uh, and that needs a lot of resources. Um, someone has um, uh, to find professional translators, uh, good publishers, good critiques um, to um, make the world aware of this hidden treasure uh, that is Iranian literature. Uh, let me also add at this point um, that uh, writing of women, Iranian women, um, now is no longer um, only um, in Iran. Uh, we have a large number of women writers um, who are writing in the language of the host country uh, throughout Europe, 
in Australia, everywhere, in every corner of the world. Thank you. You write, as you said about holding the Quran by your mother, which most of us experienced, there's a tenderness and deep spirituality we see in women. Do you think this tenderness was misunderstood as weakness in women, and therefore we women started to hide in order not to be humiliated or to avoid shame? Thank you uh, again. Um, you know, these are wonderful questions and very um, nuanced in what they ask, and they, they really deserve a nuanced answer. Uh, and alas, we don't have the time to go into it. But I want uh, to bring to the attention uh, of um, this viewer who has asked this wonderful question that um, one of the reasons um, I was interested um, in uh, women's uh, writing uh, on one level, um, I have said it um, repeatedly, it was very personal. Uh, I found my voice in the writing of women. Um, I found shelter and refuge in that writing. Uh, I, I found a portable uh, home, uh, a portable country uh, in the writing of women writers. On some level, um, I identified uh, with their feelings of being in exile. Um, I, was an, uh, I was not an exile, but I was an immigrant living outside the country. And many of the women I studied were exiles in their homeland. But other than that, one of the other main reasons was that I was surprised at the representation of Iranian women uh, in, uh, in, in the West. Um, I have always believed that although women have been segregated, uh, although women in Iran for centuries, although they have not had access to the public arena uh, and to public forms of art, they have been very powerful at home. And they have been an incredibly brilliant um, um, practitioner of private forms of art. Um, let me give you some examples. Shahrazad, the storyteller, um, who was, by the way, um, ultimate practitioner uh, of politics. You know, most books about her talk about her storytelling. Uh, in the West, as Fatima Mernisi has talked beautifully about it, it's mainly how she looked and what she wore and um, things of that sort. But Shahrazad was a, was a strategist, was a political strategist um, and very powerful. She's the one who tamed uh, a murderous king um, who brought peace to her land. Um, so women have always been powerful uh, inside the home. And the reason I'm so excited about threshold literature is because it is allowing me um, as a literary critique it is allowing women writers uh, as producers of literature um, to talk about um, this transcendence of binary opposites, uh, that um, segregation or domination does not mean powerlessness uh, or lack of agency. Women have always been very powerful inside the house. Thank you. A few more questions. Uh, one viewer writes, is the struggle for freedom in choosing to wear the hijab part of the boundary breaking pattern that you mentioned? Um, I'm sorry, uh, 
Would you repeat that question? I think. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Um, the question is, is the struggle for freedom in choosing to wear the hijab part of the boundary breaking pattern that you mentioned? Absolutely. Uh, I have argued for 40 years that the right to present yourself to the outside world, uh, your sartorial choices are the prerogative of a woman uh, and of a woman alone. No one can tell her to veil herself or to unveil herself. Uh, both are infringement of the human rights of an individual. That right is the basic human right of any woman, anywhere, anytime in the world. Thank you. Another viewer writes, isn't Iranian women's literature itself a challenge to Iranian notions of Islam, in effect a Baha'i act? What about women's literature as religious subversion? Um, I, I um, referred um, a few times to Tahir Yaguratul Ain, um, who, by the way, um, unveiled her body and her voice in 1848, which is a monumental year uh, in the world, and which is also considered um, the beginning of women's movements in the West. Um, I wish and I hope uh, more will be written about the significance uh, of uh, Badasht um, as a way to decenter uh, whiteness, uh, to decenter uh, the West as a locus of women's uh, movement. But having said that, my field is uh, literature, not religious studies. I don't mean to evade the question. Um, I uh, um, believe um, there are uh, women uh, who feel uh, very comfortable uh, and very liberated in whatever religious expression they have. Uh, it's not only Baha'ism or uh, Babism or Islam or Christianity or Judaism. Uh, again, that choice is also the individual choice of any writer. Thank you. Another question, a viewer writes, following up on the first question, are there differences between Persian women writers outside of Iran who write in Persian and the ones who write in the language of the exile country they are in? Um, what a fantastic question. Uh, and I have to say, um, I don't have an answer to this great question. Uh, I need to study it um, more carefully from this perspective. Um, and I have to admit that um, thankfully, uh, there are now so many wonderful books being written in all languages uh, of host countries and a uh, couple of languages that I know, it's hard to keep up with uh, both the ones that write in Persian and the ones who write uh, in other languages. But this, this is a great question. And I, I promise the person who asked the question that I will pay closer attention to this. And I apologize for not having the answer. Thank you. We have lots of questions and comments coming in, a lot of comments thanking you for your research and for the talk. I want to read one comment and one question. A viewer writes, thank you, Professor Farsani Milani, for this thought-provoking and inspiring lecture. As usual, your brilliant articulation of the concept of threshold in literature gave me an idea. I have been emphasizing in my analysis of feminism and women's movements in Iran and other countries on the concept of global. Do you think it is very similar to the reality of threshold in literature? Absolutely, yes. Um, uh, anytime that uh, you acknowledge 
the existence uh, of binaries, uh, but you refuse to be prisoners of them, of one or the other. Uh, Every time you stand at the threshold uh, with the option uh, to look inside and outside, uh, to be local and global, um, that to me um, is a perfect example of uh, threshold literature or threshold form of writing. I want to add here that um, it has been uh, a source of great joy uh, for me um, to go back and um, to read um, the poems of, in particular, two uh, male poets uh, of the classical era. I'm talking mainly about Rumi uh, and uh, Hafez. Uh, to me, if I have any understanding of the threshold of this third space, of this space of creativity, um, their poetry uh, is an ultimate example. Um, Rumi has a line um, that captures in one line uh, what um, I've been struggling to explain. جنگ از داد است عمر این جهان صلح از داد است عمر جاودان let me uh, try a translation uh, of it uh, clash of um, opposites um, is as old as time itself Uh, reconciliation of opposites is paradise itself. 